Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. We are in our latest series called Saints, looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. When we hear the word saints, we think of men and women who lived hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, completely different from us. But are we that different from them? In this series, we tackle who the church is, and who we are as saints. Take a listen to this week's message. When we worship, our perspective shifts. Our focus moves upward instead of inward or outward. Our internal struggles, our worries, our fears about the world around us dissipate as they're placed in the hands of a God who has defeated even death. When we worship, we are reminded that God's got us. When saints worship, we are reminded of the goodness of God and we are encouraged to do the work that he has put us to do. When we worship, we are reminded of our place here and God's place exalted in heaven. When we worship, God is honored and glorified and receives all the praise that he is due. And I think when the saints worship, God is pleased. Well, hey, good morning. Good morning. Okay, I'm going to need full energy this morning, okay? Good morning. Good morning. I don't know if you, there we go. I don't know if you have those mornings. I don't know what it is. I didn't preach last week, and so sometimes I have this, like, pent-up energy that sticks with me for an entire week, or you just wake up before 5 o'clock ready and excited to go, and that's me this morning. Uh, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. I want to welcome you again. If you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. If you need a copy of God's Word, just lift up your hand, and our Connect team will get you a copy. The words will be also on the screen as well. We're in this series called saints, looking at the church, looking at who we are as the body of Christ. And we began the series really in chapter one, looking at what God has done, how he started his church, what the point of his church is. And then in chapter two, we looked at this idea how God saved us, redeemed us, gave us good works, and how a part of that salvation is God uniting us, taking diverse people in the, in the New Testament, Jew and Gentile, in today's church, every race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and bringing them to make what? One body. Last week, Pastor Matthew Weaver started chapter 3 talking about how just as Paul was called to share that mystery, the good news of Jesus dying and rising, not just to save us, but also to reconcile us to one another, Paul finishes his discussion here. So let's stand together and let's read out loud, everybody out loud, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that is the breadth and length and height 
and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You guys may be seated. So the message today is entitled Doxology. Everybody say Doxology. That is a big, fancy, theological, churchy word that simply means worship. In fact, the word actually comes from two Greek words, doxa, which means glory, and logos, which means word. So it's literally a word of glory. So when we're talking about worship, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about words of glory. Now, we might get kind of lost in some of that, and we might think, you know, I don't know, what's that all about? Maybe you're not used to this on a normal basis, gathering together with a group of believers, worshiping Jesus. But all of us, whether you believe it or not, are worshipers. In fact, not far from this building, there is a massive cathedral where over 70,000 people gather weekly. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's called the Superdome. And there are 70,000 worshipers that stand to their feet when 53 men come onto the field. And when those men come onto the field, what does the Church of the Saints sing? That's right. Now, hey, V-Kids, I'm going to need your help for this one, okay? Do you know the Who Dat chant? Okay, so we're going to say this together. Is everybody ready? Ready? One, two, three. Who dat? Who dat? Who dat say they're going to beat them saints? Who dat? Who dat? Who dat say they're going to beat them saints? Excellent. Can we give it up for our V kids? They carried us. Now you might be thinking, Dustin, that is the most sacrilegious thing anybody has ever said in God's church. And there's some truth to that. But there's also some truth to the reality that we know what it's like to worship, just sometimes we worship the wrong thing. Now, I'm not telling you to not enjoy your saints, right? Next week, we're going to kick off at noon, and it's going to be an awesome season. I'm so excited about it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying football and loving your New Orleans saints. But what Paul tells us in this passage is that there is someone greater that we're to worship. And we worship that greater one, our God, just as we celebrate anything else because we know who he is and what he's done. And Paul is going to challenge us as we think about this idea of doxology to say this is who we worship and this is why we worship him. I want to encourage you, if you're new, you're looking for resources, there's a link on the screen. You can find everything right there. And as we're digging a little bit deeper today into this passage, you might be thinking, okay, how does this connect to what we've been talking about for the last several weeks? Because there, there are parts of this letter sometimes where it feels a little bit disconnected. 
But what Paul is really getting at, he's saying, listen, because of what God has done, that Jesus in our sin came and died and rose and saved us and reconciled us to one, he deserves what? Praise, glory, honor. And what he's going to say in these few verses is what God has done, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. What he's saying in these few verses is what God has done for who? Us. And this is why this is so important. If you're taking notes, write this down. Why does our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, deserve glory? Number one, because of this. The Father strengthens us by His Spirit. Look at verse 16 again. The Father strengthens us by His Spirit, and this is how Paul describes that. He says that according to the riches, everybody say riches, the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be what? Everybody say it. Oh, come on now. Say it. Strengthened with what? Power. (laughs) That's my daughter. Strengthened with power through His what? Spirit in your inner being. It is the Father who strengthens us. If you go back and you look at verse 14 where Paul begins this, and by the way, he's literally just picking up his thought from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. If you look at verse 1, just flip maybe a page or so in your Bible, what does verse 1 start with? Paul says, for this reason. This happens often in Paul. He starts a thought and he's like, wait, wait, I got more to say. For this reason... Let me take a sidestep here. And then he comes back in verse 14 and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. It is the Father who Paul is praying to that strengthens us by his Spirit. And Paul says it's the Father who strengthens us from his riches. That is a word in the book of Ephesians, in Paul's letter, that he uses over and over and over again. That God has this abundant storehouse of wealth and riches that he wants to lavish on us. So it's not as if what Paul is saying is like, listen, God's only got so much and he's giving you just a little bit of it. Paul is saying, listen, God has all the riches. And I'm not talking about money. I hope you hear me in that. I'm not talking about that. But his grace and his mercy and his love, Paul is saying he's lavishing it on us all. So the Father strengthens us, and he strengthens us with power. Verse 16, he says that you would be strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so the Father is saying, listen, the power that I have as the creator of the universe, the uncreated one, the one who created everything, that is the power that I'm putting in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this power is unlike any other power because it is coming directly from the source of that power. I hate to remind you about this. But just about a little over a year ago, do you remember what happened? Ida, I know, we don't want to talk about it. But as I thought about this power and I thought about that source, do you remember why for many of us it took so long for the power to come back on? 
Do you remember that massive tower across the river? And that that tower, literally Ida toppled that tower. And so because that tower had fallen over, the source of the power had no ability to get us power. Paul is saying, that's not our problem. Because in Christ Jesus... The Spirit of God dwells in us, and so the power that the Father has, the power that the Son has, the power that the Holy Spirit has becomes whose? Ours. And Paul says that that is the power with which I am asking the Lord to give you. This isn't the first time in the book of Ephesians that Paul's talked about power. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, this was week two in this series. He says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his what? Power. Toward who? Us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says, listen, you want a demonstration of what God's power looks like, all you have to do is look to the person of Jesus. And you see someone who wasn't just kind of dead, but who was completely dead, but did what? Came back to life. And Paul says that is the demonstration of the power of God that does what? Dwells in you, us. And all of that power is us because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, living in us, empowering us. And so Paul says, listen, the reason that we glorify, praise, worship God is because the Father strengthens us by the power of His Holy Spirit. But number two, the Father does all of that so that the Holy Spirit can teach us Christ's love. Look at verses 17 through the beginning of verse 19. Anytime, by the way, in Paul's letters, you see this phrase, so that. It's always referring to a purpose. So that's why this is so tied together. Paul is saying, listen, I want the Father to strengthen you by the power of His Spirit so that, what? Verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in what? Everybody say it. Love. Love. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the what? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, Paul says that he wants the Holy Spirit, the Father, to strengthen us by the Holy Spirit so when we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit can teach us Christ's love. And the reason that he can teach us Christ's love is because it is the Holy Spirit that unites us with Christ. Very beginning of verse 17, what does Paul say? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts. A few weeks ago we talked about our union with Christ. In Paul's letters, one of the Basic, simple phrases you will hear and see over and over again is with him or with Jesus or with Christ. And anytime you see that phrase, read that phrase, what Paul is getting at is he's getting at our union with Christ. That when we believe in Jesus, 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that is Jesus has becomes whose? Not a trick question. Becomes whose? Ours. So the love that Christ has becomes whose? Ours. The very love with which the Father loved the Son, the Son then turns around and loves His church, His body. That's why our union with Him is so important. Listen, when we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we have Christ. You can't have one and not have the other. We have both. And so Paul says that the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. When we are united with Christ, what are we then done? We are taught the love of Christ. Now, if you didn't know anything, and you just started there, you might ask, well, What's the love of Christ? But all we have to do is go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we begin to see what? The love of Christ on display. Jesus demonstrated his love for us, right? In going to the cross, not deserving death, not deserving the penalty of crucifixion, dying on the cross so that we might live, so that we might be reunited with God. And then he rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And the scriptures tell us that to experience that love, to, what, to have what Paul says, the love of Christ dwell in our hearts, we have to respond to that gospel. We have to repent. We have to turn away from the way we have been living. Because the way we have been living is not the way that God wants us to live. And then in faith, we need to turn to the cross and the empty grave and trust that Jesus died for us. Jesus rose from us. And then we've got to respond, confessing that faith. We confess through baptism, being buried with Jesus and coming up out of the water, being raised with him. That is the demonstration of love. Jesus wouldn't have to say anything We know that he loves us by what he did for us. And Paul says that because of that love, then God gives us that love. Look at Romans 5, verse 5. It's on the screen for you. He says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, what Paul is getting at is, okay, God, the Father, demonstrated his love for us by what? Sending Jesus to die for us. But that love becomes personal. It becomes real. It becomes something that we experience when we believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit does what? It's like he takes a cup and he pours the love of God into us. That's what God does. He pours his love into us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And the incredible thing that I think Paul gets at, that all of us should be wrapping our minds around, is how completely ridiculous this love is. So ridiculous, in fact, that it is difficult to comprehend. Did you catch the way that Paul described 
this kind of love and trying to wrap our minds around this love. Look again at verse 18. We need strength. Strength that comes from whom? God, the Holy Spirit, to do what? Comprehend. Another way to say that word comprehend is grasp. To grasp with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that does what? Surpasses knowledge. The love of God is like this. As soon as you get a grasp on it, it escapes you. It's like, I got it. I figured it out. Oh, wait. I didn't. Right? That word comprehend, again, like I told you, it, it can mean grasp. And it's like, have you ever like carried every single bag of grocery from your car to your house, thinking, thinking you can do it in like one haul, and like literally your fingers are about to break, and you're barely grasping on to your groceries? Now look, grasping on to groceries and grasping on to God's love are two very different things. But that's the kind of image that Paul wants you to get, that you're barely holding on to comprehending, to grasping the love that God has for you. That's how immense and incomprehensible this love is. So Paul says, the Father gives us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be taught the love of Christ. And then he closes at the end of verse 19 saying we're taught Christ's love so that what? So that Christ can fill us with the presence of God. Into verse 19 he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ fills us. Again, this is not something new in the book of Ephesians. We read this in week two in Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 through 23. The Father, that's he, put all things under his feet, that is, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the what? The fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see the connection that Paul is making here? He's saying, this is who Jesus is. He is the fullness of God who fills the church. And then Paul says at the end of chapter 3, listen, I am praying to the Father that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to comprehend the love of Christ that you might be filled with God. To put your mind through all of this. Christ fills us in a sense like we fill a cup. I don't know if you've ever, I hate yard work. Anybody hate yard work? Just praise God, right? Let's, can we all together confirm and affirm by our faith that we hate yard work? I hate yard work. I'm sorry, I might pay you for that, right? But those super hot days when you feel like you're going to die because it's so hot and you've spent hours in your yard and you come in and you take that cup and you fill it with water. You don't fill it just a little bit. I don't. I fill it to the top because I am dying of a thirst. And Paul says, listen, that is the kind of filling that Christ does. It's like Christ filling us to the very top, to the brim of the cup. 
We are filled with the fullness of God when we are filled with Christ because Christ is fully God. Do you understand that? That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God completely and fully. It's not like the Father's a third God, the Son's a third God, and the Holy Spirit is a third of God. And you almost get 100%. That's not what we're talking about. When you have Christ, you have all of God. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have all of God. And Paul says that we are filled with God. That we have all of Him. Do you get that? Do you understand how incredible that is? The truth of that, wrapping your minds around that. So Christ fills us, and then he says that we are filled with what fills God. This divine being that created all of the universe that has existed from eternity past, that there has never been a moment in time or before time when God has not existed. That same God fills you. Now the question might be, well, what does he fill us with if we're filled with God? I want to remind you of just one of the attributes of God. 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John, who spent time with Jesus, says this very simple yet profound statement. He says, God is love. Now what John means is not that God is like part love. Right? You could take me and you could break me into parts and say, well, this part is, you know, Dustin loves here, he's kind here, he gets angry here, there's these parts of him. No, all of God, every part of his being, he doesn't have parts, by the way, but every part of who he is, is love. And the African church father, many of us know him by St. Augustine, said this about God. He says, oh, but you do see a trinity if you see what? Charity. That's an old word for what? Love. See, what Augustine was getting at, and what many in the church have gotten at, is that when you think about the idea of love, you see who? God. Because in love, there is always a lover. And if you have a lover, then you have to have someone who is loved, the beloved. So you have the lover, you have the beloved, and in between the lover and the beloved is what? The bond of love. In the early church, unpacked the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, our God in this way, that we have a lover, the Father, who has loved who? The Son, and that love between the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. Do you see this incredible reality that when Paul says that God is filling us with himself. He is saying he's filling us with his love. And at the same time, what he's getting at is when he fills us with his love, he fills us with himself. That we experience the Father, the Son, and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit, and we experience God. And we have God. And we know God. And we live in God. Paul is saying, this, this is a part of the mystery. 
This is, this is what God has done for us. And he says all of that, and he's got only one way to end everything that he just said. So praise God that when we know his love, we are what? Filled with his presence. Look, just side note. So many of us struggle to feel God. I'm sure you've been there. Where you're like, I know God exists. I know God is near, but I don't feel him. I don't feel his presence. Listen, if you know Jesus, even when you don't feel God, the Spirit of God is dwelling in you and you have the love of God. And if you have the love of God, guess who you have? God. Even when you don't feel it, believe it, know it. Praise God that when we know his love, we are filled with his presence. And so the church glorifies our triune God for doing the incomprehensible, filling us with him. It's no wonder that Paul ends this entire section the way he does. Because God deserves glory. We started this whole thing chanting the Hudat chant, right? And that seems kind of like silly now when we think about who God is and we think about what he's done for us. We go crazy when a grown man in tights runs with a football and scores a touchdown. Some of us more than some, right? More than others. And yet Paul tells us this incredible truth of who God is. So I want to end today a little bit different. I want to ask everybody to stand up. And you're going to see verses 20 through 21 on the screen. And we are going to read this together. And I thought about maybe making a chant, but then I'm like, oh, we're just going to mess it up. We're, not, we're just going to read it. But here's what I want you to do. I want you, you're standing, I just want you to extend your hands, maybe out, maybe up, as a sign of worship. Some of you, I know this is like, oh, no. I don't lift my hands past my waist. It's okay. You can lift your hands. And after everything that we've read about who God is and what God has done for us, we say these words. Not just to read these words, but as an act of worship. Glorifying God for who He is and what He's done. So let's read these words together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. You are 
so deserving of so much more than we can give you even in this moment. But we give you everything that we have because you deserve it. Father, thank you for strengthening us by the power of your Spirit. And in the power of your Spirit, God, teaching us about the love of Christ and in understanding the love of Christ, knowing that you fill us with yourself. Father, may that be a truth that we meditate on for the rest of our lives. Be with us now as we respond to you. We ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.